0: I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 6. 2 Kings, chapter 6. I'm always honored when uh, Pastor Malcolm uh, has asked me to, to speak, and, uh, and I do not take it lightly. And I've, I've spent uh, due diligence to try to have a word from God for our campus here and the campus at Fairview tonight. And so tonight I want to talk about recovering the lost axe head. I love this story. It's one of the great stories and miracles of Elisha. And so if you want to begin reading with me, we'll start in verse number one of chapter six of Second Kings. And the sons of the prophet said unto Elisha, Behold, now the place where we dwell with where we dwell with thee is too straight or too small for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam... The ax head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit tonight will teach us what you want us to learn from your word. And Lord, I pray tonight that every one of us will leave this place with a new commitment and desire and passion to know what it means to be filled with your Spirit, to know what it means to have your power on our lives, to know what it means to to serve and live and minister under your anointing. And Father, as you do these things for us, we promise you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory will belong to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A great uh, evangelist by the name of Jack Taylor, Southern Baptist evangelist, and, and Dr. Taylor's with the Lord now. But uh, Jack Taylor wrote a book entitled The Much More of the Spirit-Filled Life. And I read that book about 40 years ago as a young pastor. And God just grabbed my heart and changed my life. You see, it's one thing to do the work of the Lord. It's another thing to do the work of the Lord with His anointing and His power on your life. Do you understand what I'm, what I'm trying to tell you? And, and what uh, Dr. Taylor said in that book, and, and by the way, understand 40 years ago there weren't many Baptists talking about being filled with the Spirit. Because everybody was afraid to be associated with, quote, the tongues and the Pentecostal people. Now, thank God that that's not a fear anymore. And thank God that you can go to a good Baptist church and feel the Spirit of God just like you can in a Pentecostal church or wherever. But uh, we need to know what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And we need to know what it means to have God's anointing on our life. And to know that what we're doing, we're not doing in the power of the Spirit. Uh, This story teaches us that as believers, we can lose the cutting edge of God's power in our lives. Now, the story is about a real axe head that fell off of an axe handle that went into the Jordan River. And the man cried out to Elisha, who had gone with them there to build the dormitory. And he cried out, Master, it was borrowed. I've lost it. And the man of God put a stick into the water and the iron did come to the top. Now that's a miracle. Amen. Amen. And that's true. That's what what happened with it. But there's a there's a symbolic message here that every one of us need to get. And that's simply this without the cutting edge of the axe head. I don't care how nice and how pretty and how fancy the handle is, we cannot cut down trees. You know, we look at the church in the book of Acts and we look at the church today and we have to admit there's something strangely different. Amen. Look at what they're doing in the book of Acts and then look at the church today. You say, what's the difference, Brother Doug? The difference is the power of the Holy Spirit is on the lives of those that are doing the ministering. Jack Taylor, in his book that I just told you about, made this statement. He said, we have our strategy conferences to learn how to swing our axe handles. We have much doing but little dynamic. We have energy without effectiveness. We declare the day of felling trees and with great noise we embark to the forest. But at the end of the day all we have is bruised hands and tired minds and wounded trees. There is no sound of falling trees. You know, we wouldn't we, we wouldn't even consider trying to cut wood with an axe handle. Would you? I mean, can you imagine somebody that goes out and, and it's that time of year that we're cutting some wood and burning wood and, and, uh, and a, a guy's got an axe handle and he's just beating against the tree and you walk up to him and say, man, what are you doing? He said, I'm chopping this tree down. He said, that tree's not going to fall. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm chopping. You'd say, man, this guy's crazy. But yet we attempt to do God's work with the axe handle. Knowing that the axe head, which would cut the tree down, is not on the handle. And yet we keep chopping and chopping and chopping. Someone said it like this. They tell us today that 90% of what is done in the church would go on as usual if the Holy Spirit was removed from the church. Now, think about that for a moment. 90% of what we do... We would keep right on doing, even if the Holy Spirit was taken away from the church. Now, let me tell you what that means. That means we have learned how to do these things. We learn how to preach. We learn how to sing. We learn how to play. We learn how to teach. We learn how to serve. Am I right or am I wrong? And we can go through the motions. But let me tell you, even though we can be the shiniest, uh, most well-oiled machine that there is, without the anointing, there is not the results. I mean, we can look good, we can sound good, but I promise you, there will not be the results. Now, anytime that you get around Baptist, and you start talking about losing anything... It scares them. I'm not talking about losing our salvation. But I am telling you this. Paul writes in the first Corinthian letter, chapter nine. In verse number 27. He said, I keep my body under subjection. Lest while I preach to others, I myself become a castaway. Now, Paul did not believe he could lose his salvation. You've got to understand, he's the one that God used to write in the book of Romans when he said nothing can separate us from the love of God. Amen? But here's a guy that said that he kept his body under subjection lest that while he preaches to others, he himself would become a castaway. Well, you know what Paul's talking about here? That God can literally take his hand off of us. And if he does, then God's not going to use us. Now, we may stay in service. We may stay in position. And we may keep swinging the handle. But we're not going to be used of Almighty God. So, you know, as I began to prepare this last night. And if you wonder why I waited last night. Brother Dustin called me yesterday. And uh, so... I I began to pray, Lord, what would you have me do? I I know everybody thinks because we're retired preachers that we've got one just on the shelf, pull it out, blow it off. But, you know, I never preached ever. I never walked into the pulpit all those years at Decatur Baptist. I never walked in the pulpit to preach a sermon that didn't preach to me first. Now, I'm going to tell you there about two or three times That I was sitting over there on the platform waiting for my time to get up saying, God, I don't know what's about to happen. But what I worked hard to have, I'm not going to use it because it didn't speak to me. And if it didn't speak to me, it's not going to speak to them. Are, are Are you with me? And what I'm preaching tonight, I'm thinking about myself. Can I learn how to do this? Can I learn how to say it a certain way and move people in a certain way and just go through the motions or do we really do what we do under the power and the anointing of Almighty God? Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, I've preached some of the worst sermons in the world given the invitation and people just, just flood to the altar and get saved. And I thought, what, are they coming to get me? You say, what was it? It wasn't me. It wasn't what I could do or how I could do it. It was the Spirit and the anointing of God. And look at them through the book of Acts. You see it over and over and over again. They have the anointing of the Spirit of God. Now, as I said, we as Baptists, when we talk about Being filled with the Spirit, we get a little bit nervous. So let me give you a little Bible study real quick. According to Romans chapter 8, verse number 9, and and I'm leaned over like this because uh, I have bifocals, and it's hard to see without a lot of light. And uh, I can't wait till Pastor Malcolm has to use bifocals, and he'll fix the lighting up here. (laughs) But in Romans chapter 8, verse number 9, the Bible says that if, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In other words, the day I got saved, the Spirit of God came to live inside of me. Can I have an amen there? Now let me tell you something. I got all of the Spirit of God the day I got saved. But He sure didn't have all of me. Are you listening to me? He didn't have all of me, and I promise you... My daily walk and your daily walk and will be till the day we walk into the pearly gates is still letting him have more and more and more and more and more and more of us and controlling us. Then the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible said in John chapter 20 verse 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, they they knew what it was to have the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse number 4, the Bible said, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here they are, filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues. Let me address that for just a moment. It's really simple. The word tongues there is a a Greek word that means languages, glossoleia. OK, now our church still uses the old King James Bible. Now, if you go in your old King James Bible and you go over to the book of First Corinthians, chapter 14, he talks about an unknown tongue. Right. Have you ever noticed when you got over there to chapter 14 and you saw the word unknown in front of that tongue was in italics? Anybody ever notice that? Do you know why it was in italics? Because the translators of the old King James were honest. They were telling you this was not in the Greek. We put it in italics because we have have placed it here to make sure that you understand the tongue that we're talking about. And the unknown tongue is singular. But you find when the tongues that we're looking at here in in the book of Acts chapter 2, it's plural. It's languages. Do you know there was a true biblical gift of languages? And you know what's incredible about that gift of languages? There's no interpreter. And the guy speaking knows what he's saying, and the guy listening understands what's going on. And by the way, you go back to 1 Corinthians 14... And you look at that unknown tongue, and there are so many restrictions on it that it is almost impossible for anyone to practice the unknown tongue biblically. He put so many restrictions on it. Are you with me? And let me tell you something about that Corinthian church. They were the most carnal people that Paul ever had to deal with. Are we okay? Are we okay? Now, when we're talking about being filled with the Spirit and having God's anointing and power on our life, guys, let me tell you, that's exactly 180 degrees the opposite direction of carnality. Carnality is living and operating in the flesh. The power and anointing of the Spirit of God is operating in the power of God. It's it's 180 degrees in opposite direction. So you see, when we talk about that gift of languages, I have seen that happen with my own eyes and I've heard it with my own ears. We were in the island of Haiti. Katie was there. We were in the island of Haiti. And we had been building a church down there. It was our first missionary journey. We stayed in the mountains for two weeks and lived in a two-man pup, pup, what do you call them, pup tent. I'm telling you, that was the early days of missions. I want you to know, I don't take any kind of trips like that anymore. Even if I'm smoking something, I don't take trips like that. (laughs) And we had a day off, and we had two people that had gone with us that were brick mason by trade, and neither one of them knew Christ as Savior. But they wanted to go, and they helped, and... All of us, we were just the ones mixing the mud and carrying brick and carrying water. And by the way, we carried water uh, right at one mile from from uh, the uh, uh, pump. So that was a pretty good job, carrying water every day for the, make the mud for the brick. And so we went down to the beach, had a day off. And while on the beach, we decided, let's have a service because we wanted to see these two guys get saved. So while we're singing and praising the Lord and, and uh My like my mentor, more like my dad, older in the ministry and had loved me and taken care of me. Basically, from the time I'd gotten saved and watched after me, uh, he was doing the preaching. And uh, so here we are on the beach and there's some Haitians come in in their boat. They get out of their boat and they come up to where we are. And so we say to our interpreter that we're not having to use right now. He's just standing there because all of us are having that service in English. And Brother Preston said to our interpreters, I want you to start interpreting for these guys because they were standing back in the back, listening. He said, I want you to begin to interpret for them so they'll understand what we're doing. So he proceeded to interpret for them. And all of a sudden, it was the strangest thing, the look on our interpreter's face. And he stopped. And he looked back at Pastor Preston and he said... I don't need to interpret. And Pastor Preston said, what do you mean? He said, they are understanding everything that you are saying. Now, we were speaking English. They spoke Creole. They did not. They were not bilingual. At the end of that service, these men, these Haitian men gave their lives to Christ. And we baptize them right there in the ocean. Now you say, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. God can do whatever God wants to do. Because He is God. Amen? But let me tell you something about God. He will never, ever cause confusion. Now in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, the Bible said, And when they had prayed... The place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. Now, wait a minute. We in Acts chapter two, they're filled with the spirit. Acts chapter four, they're filled again with the spirit. You say, what's happening? Well, I'll tell you what happens. We tend to leak. We tend to drain out a bit. Isn't that right? Do we not drain out a bit? That's why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5 verse number 18, Be not drunk with wine wherein there is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. And the word filled with the Spirit there literally means to be filled, and 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 to be filled. And, be filled and, be filled. and if you've gone through disciples making disciples, one of the very first things we learned in our class was that every day we're to ask God to do what? What? Fill us with His Spirit. Why? Because we tend to leak out. And we need to constantly be filled with the Spirit. So, I want to ask the question, and I want you to really be thinking with me right now. Are you living and ministering and serving under the power of the Spirit of God and the anointing of God? If you're not, then you need to get back. If you've lost the axe head, if you've lost the cutting edge of God's anointing, you need to get it back. So you say, how do you do it? Well, the way this man got it back is the same way we would get it back. Let me give it to you quickly. We'll be done. Number one, how do we recover the lost axe head? We admit that we lost it. Look at verse number five. Let's go back to our text. Look at verse number five. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. He admitted that he lost it. Do you know what I found in my life? It is really hard to admit when you failed. It's hard to admit a loss. It's hard to admit that that I'm not where I ought to be. Amen? Now, I want you to know, I can quickly tell you, you're not where you ought to be. But I have a real difficult time admitting when I'm not where I ought to be. How about you? And so it's a difficult thing to admit loss or failure. Now there's some things he could have done. He could have made excuses. And by the way, that's all we hear today in church. Is excuses. He could have said something like this. Trees aren't falling anymore. You just can't cut trees like you used to. Now, can I interpret that for you? I do have that gift of interpretation. You know, we're not having people saved today because, you know, people just aren't getting saved like they used to. Well, let me ask you something. Who's changed? My Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we have changed. Amen? We have changed. Not God. We have changed. He could have made this excuse. He could have said, axes are just not as good as they used to be. You know, I remember in the olden days when they made an axe, you can cut a tree down with it. But boy, these new axes today, they just don't work good. All that is, is an excuse. Or he could have said something like this. You know, I'm just really tired of cutting down trees. It's time some of these younger ones cut down trees. Boy, don't you hear that a lot with... Us older folks. Let's let some of them young bucks have a, have a shot at it. Well, let me tell you something. You, you know, I'm, I, I, I love being retired. I, I tell you, before I got retired, I worked one job. Now that I'm retired, I work three. I love being retired. I, 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 I'm telling you, there's something about being retired, and it's not just because I turned 70 the last month. But after three jobs, about eight o'clock, nine o'clock, I'm ready to go to bed. And I can sleep pretty good. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, if God's letting us breathe free air, if God still left us on this earth and we have our mind and we have our health, we ought to be doing God's work. God has a work to do. And by the way, let me tell you, when I was young and witnessing, man, I'd have people that just literally want want to debate. Young man, let me tell you something. Young man, let me tell you. Who do you think you are, young man? But let me tell you something about being older. Nobody does that anymore. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? There's people who just humor you because you're older. They'll be nicer to you because you're older. And you know what? There's people that really believe because we're older, we may know a little bit of something to talk about. But you know what we've done? We've said, let the younger ones do it. Now, here's the fact the younger ones ought to be doing it. And we older ones ought to be teaching them how. We ought to be showing them how. You know what's crazy? We have a generation that's about to pass off of this earth and go to heaven and all that we've learned and all that we know and have in our heads and have in our hearts, are it will go to eternity with us because we have not given it to the younger ones coming up. God help us. One of the men that... Uh, has shot horses for me for years. Just recently had a stroke. And he can no longer shoe horses. He's a third generation farrier. Never seen anybody like him in my life. You can have a horse and I, I raise gated horses. This brother down here raises quarter horses. But my horses are whole. They're not quarter. <laughs> It takes four of his to just one of mine. But I raise gated horses and sometimes they won't gate properly. Instead of hitting that gate, they will trot or they'll, they'll, they'll get out of gate. And I've never seen anybody like him in my life. I, I, I've gone to him with some of the worst behavior in a horse trying to gate. And ask him, what do I do? And he said, well, just ride him off there in front of me and let me watch you. And he'd, I'd ride him off and ride him back and ride him off and ride him back. He said, pull him in here. He'd pull him in, put his chaps on, shoe the horse, and the horse starts hitting a perfect gate. And I said, what, what did you do? Well, he said, I just noticed, and as you went down through there, and this wasn't just right. And he said, I took and I changed the angle here, and I did a little bit there. And I, I said to him, where did you learn how to do that? He said, oh, I got that from my granddad. And then I got it from my dad. And I said to him, but when you're gone, who's going to have it? And you know what? Nobody. It's gone with him. You know, that's tragic in the church, is it not? Isn't that tragic? I mean, that's why the Bible said the older teach the younger. Younger. The older teach the younger. Do you you understand that? Do you understand in discipleships we start out with a little baby and then we get down to the last stage, the seventh stage, is the older men and women? And the older in the church are not those to be the complainers and the gripers. The older are to be those that are teaching the younger ones how to do it. God help us, we, we, we have failed in so many ways, and, and, but we just make excuses. It's, I, I've already served, I've already done my time, let the next one, no, 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 no. As long as we have our health, we need to be giving our life to teach and train others. He could have pretended that he still had the axe head. Now that, that one would really be bad, but we see it all the time. He could have been swinging that axe just as hard as he could swing that axe handle and hope nobody noticed that the axe head was gone. Oh, he'd have still been down there in the trees and he'd still been making the noise, but no tree would be falling. And do you know, that's one thing I pray, oh God, don't let me do that. Don't let me get down where I'm, I, I'm just going through the motions when I know nothing's going to happen because your power and your anointing and your blessing is not on it. He could have done that you remember what the Bible said about Samson? Samson, the, the Spirit of God had left Samson and he didn't even realize it. The Bible, the King James Bible said he wist not. He wist not. In the book that I told you in the beginning, one of the statements he made in, in, in the book that I've never gotten away from, and I was remembering it last night from 40 years ago, said, we ought to shut down the business until we find out what makes the business work. We ought to shut down the business until we find out what makes the business work. Remember my illustration when I said I never preached unless it would preach to me first? And there's three or four times I was willing to get up and God is my witness. I was willing to get up. And walk up to the pulpit and say, folks, I don't have one thing in the world to give to you today. Let's stand and pray and all go home. But somewhere between over there and right here, a thing called the anointing took place. And all that I'd been putting in to me, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, started coming out. Are are you understanding what I'm talking about? But you know, we all just shut down the business until we find out what makes the business work. Let's not not do ministry for the sake of doing ministry. Let's do what we do because we know that there's the hand of God on us and the hand of God on what we're doing and making sure that we're right where God can bless us. And by the way, when we do that, folks, things happen. Things happen. Miracles take place. Now, I know we live in a day and time when people say, I don't believe that. We, I, I've, I've said this so many times in, in, in my years of pastoring. Just because you've not been up under the house doesn't mean there's not something up under the house. So I say, I've never heard that before. Well, maybe it's time you learn something. I mean, do, do you think you already know everything? That somebody can say something and you supposedly have already heard it? Well, if we started shutting down the business until we found out what made the business work, I think we'd see the business start working better. Amen? Don't teach the class or the small group just because that's what you do. Do it because there's an anointing of God on it. Do do, do you know you can tell the difference in a song that has the anointed and one that doesn't have the anointing? I've heard people, uh, let me give you a classic example. Oh, Elvis could sing, couldn't he? But oh, Elvis could sing how great thou art and it never did move me. But I've heard some people that couldn't sing like Elvis sing how great thou art. And I'm telling you, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. You say, what was the difference? The anointing. The anointing. Are you with me? Shut down the business till we find out what makes the business work. Oh, no, we, 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 we got to keep doing this. I mean, you know, it's seven o'clock and we got to we got to make sure we fill in that one hour. I mean, we got to we got to fill it in. You know, sometimes we might be better off just say we don't have anything worth anybody wasting their time to hear it. Unless the anointing is there. Unless the unless God's there. Are, are you with me? OK, hang with me now. Now, I realize I you, you noticed I didn't pull out a sugar stick and try to give it to you. Right. You see, we need to be willing to admit that something is wrong. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, that church at at Ephesus, you read read in there, these these guys, they were incredible workers. I I mean, they were incredible workers, amen? I mean, they were doing this, they were doing that. I mean, wow, wow. You'd say, man, I want them on my team. And then he said, yeah, got somewhat against you. You've left what? your first love. They were great workers, but they were terrible lovers. They had left that first love. And guys, when we do that, the anointing is is, is gone. I mean, we we lose the the, the first love. We we, we lose our vision. Our, Our faith is no longer stretched. When was the last time your faith was really stretched? When was the last time you gave in such a way that it stretched you? When was the last time you ministered in such a way that it stretched you? When was the last time you got out of your comfort zone and did something for God, but you did it and God took care of you? You know, and here's the thing. When we lose the the anointing, when we lose the the axe head of God's power, then we quit attempting great things for God. I, I... I don't like mediocre. Do you? I had a I had a guy not too long. It's well it's been, it's been a, a couple of years ago, and he did some work for me, and it was a, a metal siding. Did some metal siding for me. It, it looked like my grandchildren had done it. <laughs> I'm telling you, terrible. And I called him. Of course, it took you about 15 calls before they answer the phone. you know how that is? Uh, when they're getting the job, they, they, they're, they're answering first ring out. And I'll never forget what he said to me. I said, man, there's a mess. And I began to tell him what all it was, and here's what he said. If I would have known you wanted a good job, I'd have charged you more. I, I remember thinking to myself, did, did I just hear that? If I would have thought you really wanted a good job, I would have charged you more. The reason I hired you was because I thought you would do a good job. Again, again, uh, again, we, we just we 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 just get to the place where we just coast in and coast out and give it a lick and give it a promise and let it go. And Boy, that's not how it ought to be. I, I, I believe what, what we do for God ought to be the best we can do. It ought to be the best we can do. Give God the best that we have. Let God stretch us. I mean, let God take us to the place where we attempt great things for Him and and stop coasting and stop settling for second best and And ask God, God, reignite your passion in me. Give me a passion, Lord, to want to know you. Paul said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. But Paul said, man, I want to know him and the what? The power of what? Let, Let me ask you, is there anything more powerful than the power of his resurrection? No, Paul said, man, I don't, I don't want anything that's second best. I want only the best. And by the way, and he said in the fellowship of his suffering, because when you get the anointing of God on you, then you have the enemy coming at you like crazy. But I'm going to tell you, there's nothing that can ever take the place of the anointing of God. The anointing of God brings enthusiasm, it brings joy, it it just causes us to want to serve God. It causes you to wake up of a morning and say, Lord, it's it's another day to love you and serve you. And thank you that, that, that I'm alive and that you're going to use me today. That's what the anointing is all about. Do you realize there used to be a time that most Methodists couldn't get a job? If it was found out that you were a Methodist, they wouldn't hire you to come and work at the home or in the home, or they wouldn't hire you on the job. He said, Well, why were they mad at Methodists? They weren't mad at Methodists. They didn't hire Methodists because when the Methodists showed up, they preached to everybody, they told everybody how to go to heaven. They tried to get everybody saved and you know, you don't want to, you don't want to bring a Methodist on the job unless, unless you realize they're going to preach to everybody here. But I'll tell you what, they could hire Baptist today, couldn't they? I mean, why have we gotten lockjaw on the Lord? What, 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 has happened to us? I'll tell you what's happened, guys. The anointing, the anointing, the power Now, we're we're still here. It's Wednesday night. We're here. Check the box. Sunday morning, we're here. Check the box. I'm here. I'm here. Offering plates passed. I give. Check the box. But the question is not just being here, but it's being anointed. What we're doing has the breath of God on it. So, number one, here we go. You admit it's lost, and by the way, for those of you timing me on this, they're all shorter after number one <laughs> okay we, we're gonna, We're going to really get down the slide, and here we go. Number one, admit that you lost it. Number two, acknowledge it was barred. Look at verse number six again. look at what he said, and he said uh, he goes back in verse number five and said and, and uh, The man said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. Now let's talk about this thing of the anointing and the power of God. We don't possess the power of God. The power of God possesses us. It's a gift from Almighty God. God's power and God's anointing in our lives. It's one of the most important, precious things that God could ever give to any of us. You ask the question, what made the D.L. Moody's and the Charles Finney's and the George Whitfield's and the Carrie Tim Boons and the Billy Graham's and the Fanny Crosby? By the way, I was reading about old Fanny Crosby last night. She wrote eight, that blind, blind Fanny Crosby, wrote over 8,000 hymns and gospel songs. What did they have? What did old John Hyde, pray and hide, what did they have that 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 others didn't have in their day and time. I'll tell you what they had. They had the anointing. They had the power of Almighty God. The power and anointing is too important in my life and your life to lose it by default in how we live and how we behave and how we serve. So number one, admit that you've lost it. Number two, acknowledge it was borrowed. And number three, return to where you lost it. Look at verse number six. And the man of God said, where fell it? And he showed him the place. Where fell it? And he showed him the place. You know, the best place to start looking for something that you've lost is the place where you lost it. Now, I'm going to tell you, my wife can find anything. And I can lose anything. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, I I can lose it. But thank God I'm married to her. She can find it. And when I lose something and I go to her and say, honey, I can't find it. I I can't find it. Here's every time, every time. Here's what she'll say. Where were you the last time you had it? Talk to me now. Right. Where were you the last time you knew that the last time you remember having it? Where were you? Right. How, How many of you can identify with that? Where were you? Where were? Well, the best place to find something you lost is where you lost it. Where were you when all of a sudden was the last time you remember having it? Then go back to the place. And you know, when we go back to those places, it's going to mean that there's, we're going to find that disobedience is why it was lost. We're going to find that hurt feelings is why it was lost. A critical spirit was why it was lost. We got with the wrong crowd. And can I say this? I realize our teenagers are in another building right now. But let me tell you, you can get with the wrong crowd in church. There's some wrong crowds in the church. Oh, they're not drinking beer and smoking dope, but they're criticizing everything going on. You get around critical bad people. You know what will happen. They'll pull you down. You won't pull them up. They'll pull you down. But you say where, where were you the last time you remember having it. You get around the wrong people. And out of default. The power and the anointing is gone. We get with the wrong crowd. And we make the decision to do something we know is wrong. Even though we realize that it will Take away the anointing. How foolish. How foolish that is. We let our prayer life slip. We let our Bible reading time slip. We let our faithfulness slip. You see, the best place to start looking for something you've lost is the place where you lost it. And then start remembering. Start remembering the joy of serving. Start remembering the joy of of the anointing. Start remembering uh, the enthusiasm that we had and and, 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 and the ministry was thriving and, and, and we were growing and people were getting saved and lives were getting changed. And start remembering the joy of serving the Lord. But, you know, it's, it's, it's just hard to go back to where you lost it. Because right back to what I said in the first thing, it's hard to admit when something's gone and we've messed up. Amen. I told you this story, I think a few years ago when I preached for Pastor Malcolm. But I'm a country boy. You'd never know that. I I know I sound refined and all of that. You know, I'm one of those guys that got all kinds of education and never let it affect me. (laughs) But we were, we, when when our dad in the summertime, when dad go to work, then we had, uh, we had our time to, He'd always leave us a list of stuff to do. And once we got it done, we could do all kinds of stuff. And And we hooked uh, a young horse and one of our old seasoned mares to a, to a wagon. We decided we were going to teach that young horse how to pull a wagon. We got the old seasoned mare that knew how to pull a wagon. We had them hooked together. And we started down the... I, I grew up in the mountains of East Tennessee. So we did have some level places. That's where we built our houses. And... Uh, and then, you know, everything's sort of up and everything's down. And so that we're starting out on a level. And that young horse is going okay. And the old, old, old seasoned mare, she's pulling that wagon. And we start up this big hill. We start up that hill. We get about halfway up that hill. That young horse stops. He puts his front feet out just like that and his back feet just like that. And he stopped. That old mare, she's about to kill herself trying to pull that wagon and trying to pull him off of his stopped position. Man, we stopped the wagon. We threw the brake on on the wagon. I mean, we we didn't know what to do. And the neighbor saw us. He was an older man. His name was Marion, Mr. Marion. And he came down there and he said, boys, do you need some help? And boy, did we need some help. I, I'm going to tell you right now. I can see that old mare hurting herself. I can see us Breaking the leg of that young horse, and I could see Gerald Ripley putting all of us in the hospital. We said, "Yes, sir, we need help." And he said, "Well boys, do you know what's wrong with that young horse?" We said, "No, sir, Mr. Marion, We don't know what's wrong with it." He said, "That horse has done gone and balked on you. <laughs> balked on us. I didn't know what balk was. He had stopped. We, I did know that. And he wasn't, by the way, he was in a position where he wouldn't go forward. He wouldn't go backward. He wouldn't go sideways. I mean, he was stuck. And I'll never forget what Mr. Marion said to us. He said, boys, if you don't make that horse pull that wagon he'll never be any count after today. (laughs) Are you understanding my East Tennessee? If you don't make that horse pull that wagon, he'll never be any count after today. We said, well, Mr. Marion, what do we do? He said, well, boys, he said, you get up in that wagon. And he said, when I tell you, you let off of that brake and you drive them. And he walked over into the ditch line and there was a pole there about that big around, about eight foot long. And he walked over got that pole. And he walked over and he began to hit on the back of that young horse just as hard as he could with that pole. And when he started to hit that young horse, he said, boys, go off the brake and drive them. And about four or five times with that pole across that young horse's back, he began to walk up that hill and pull the wagon you know I I was as lost as a golf ball in high weeds that day but God taught me something that I've seen as a Christian and as a pastor 10,000 times God's people balking balking they go right back to the place where they lost it but they don't want to admit it they're not going to move They're not going to get it right. They're not going to do what they've got to do. And they're right there and they are balked. And do you know what? If they don't move out of that position, they will never be any count for God. Are you listening to me? And, and, And if Paul said, I keep my body under subjection, that lest while I preach to others, I myself become a castaway, then what in the world should Doug Ripley be doing? So number one, admit you lost it. Acknowledge it was borrowed. Number two, return to where you lost it. Number three, trust God to restore it. Look at verse number six. And he showed him the place and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither and the iron did swim. You see, I've got to believe that God wants to use me. And if I've gotten to the place where I don't have God's anointing and God's power on my life, I've got to believe if I'll get back where I need to that God wants to use me. Are are you with me? I, I believe with all of my heart. The Bible said the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro through the whole earth and God is looking for the man or the woman that has their heart right with him that he can show himself strong on their behalf. I believe that. I believe God wants to use me. Amen? And there's been times, listen, there's been times when my axe head has fallen into the water. There's been times that I've looked around and said, oh, Lord, I've, I've gone from the anointing back into the flesh. And there's been times I've had to say, oh, God, forgive me. And God, here's what happened. And, you know, I can always trace it back to a disobedience or a hurt feelings or, 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 or just, you know, negativity or just different little things. I mean, you know, we, we tend to think that it's the big things. But the Bible said it's the small foxes that spoils the vine. Not the big things. Man, when I've I've had God's anointing and God's God's power not on my life, it it wasn't because I killed somebody or raped somebody or robbed somebody. It was because I got disobedient. I got negative. I got my feelings hurt and decided I I like my feelings hurt. You know, there's some things we just need to get over and get on with life. So what do we do? Admit we've lost it. Acknowledge it was borrowed. Return to where we lost it. Trust God to restore it. You, you know, this whole thing here, the stick that he throws in here, there, you say, what, what, what has, what's that stick stand for? It's, it really doesn't stand for anything other than a stick, the best I can figure it. But it is a demonstration of Elisha's faith that he believed that God could cause that axe head to come to the top of the water. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, With men this is impossible. With God all things are possible. You see, Elisha believed that God could restore. And God could fix it. And I love what, I, I don't even know who said this, but someone said it and I wrote it down many, many years ago. And it says something like this, the best way to end a human mess is with a divine miracle. And boy, how many of us have had that divine miracle from the human mess? And that's what God does. And then the last thing, and I'm done, reach out and receive it. Look at verse number seven. Verse number seven, therefore he said, take it up to thee, and he put out his hand and he took it. Now look at me and I'm going to be done here. I believe the God who caused that axe head to supernaturally come to the top. And by the way, I believe God can do that. The God who created gravity can reverse it anytime he wants. Can he not? I mean, if he could cause the sun to stand still. I mean, he's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. And so here it is. Here, here it is. He could have caused that axe head to come all the way up out of that water and come up in the air and just go right over and jump right on that handle. He could have done that. Don't you believe that? But you know what God said? Nope, I'm going to let it come back to the top of the water. You can see it. But you're going to have to bend over and pick it up. And you're going to have to put it back on the axe handle. And if you have to bend back over and pick it up, And you have to go through the anxiety of knowing you lost it and it was borrowed. And you had to see the miracle that had to take place for it to come to the top of the water. You're going to be careful when you start chopping down trees from here on out. How many of you have ever used an axe before? How many of you have ever ever noticed when the old axe head gets a little loose? You better take a little bit of time and tighten it back down. Amen? Amen? Just take a little bit of time to tighten it back down. And in my walk and your walk and my life and your life, there's times that we recognize, whoa, 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 something's not just right. You know, the Bible said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Have you ever said some stuff and it came out and you heard it right here and you said, whoa, 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 whoa. If that's coming out of my mouth, something's gotten wrong in my heart. Talk to me now. Right? And you don't just say, well, hey, everybody talks that way. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Out of the abundance of the heart, what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. And when you hear something come out, you need to say, whoa, whoa something's wrong here. I, I mean, the axe head's getting loose. I need to shear some things up here. And we need to realize that, that this is too important. It's too important to, by default, lose God's power and God's anointing on our lives. I've got six minutes, and I'm going to tell you a true story that happened to me. When God saved me at 17, about, be honest with you, probably within two days after God saved me, God called me to preach. But I didn't know it. I didn't know what he was doing. And, and you know, people around me didn't know how to tell me. And, you know, I mean, everybody, everybody around me was just as... Just about as new as I was in the Lord, and we didn't know anything except we knew we loved Him and we knew we were different and we knew we were on the right track. But God called me to preach, and I went off to Bible college just, just like most pastors have. And I graduated and I took my first church, and you know, and it was, you know, I had my college degree and it was professionalism. I went to Jack Hiles Pastor School up in Hammond, Indiana. Hadn't been pastor in about a year and a half. I went up there and Jack Hiles was preaching on the anointing and the power of God. And he, t- he said, to some of you guys, he said, you've been preaching for months and nobody's getting saved. He said, you're out here witnessing and nobody's getting saved. He said, man, you need to get the power of God on your life. You need to get the power of God on your preaching. You get need to get the power of God on your ministry. And I'm telling him, man, the more he preached, the more I got under conviction. And he said, how many of you tonight, preachers? He said, I'm talking to preachers tonight. How many of you preachers tonight would be willing to say, God, I'm done. If I don't have your power and your anointing, I'm going to go get a job. I'm not going to hurt the ministry anymore. I'm going to get out of your way. I'm I'm, I'm done. How many of you do just gather around these altars and let's, let's pray and let's get the anointing of God on our life? Well, I was sitting way back there. There was only, I I guess there was only about 12,000 of us there that night. Just a little crowd. (laughs) And so by the time I got up there, that big auditorium, everybody was already. The altars were full and the room was there. And right about where my wife was at, there was one seat empty. And I knelt down in front of that seat. And I told God, I said, God, if you don't give me your anointing, I'm going to go home and resign my church and get me a job. But I'm not going to be a preacher anymore that doesn't have the power of God. I'm not going to do it. And I said, God, I'm not going to get up from here until I know that I'm going to have your anointing. And I think God really tested me that night because I I wasn't getting up. I wasn't getting up. And I had people. You ever ever been knelt down in front of that and somebody step on the back of your legs? (laughs) people tripping over me. I mean, you got to understand how big the crowd was. But I said, "God, I'm not getting up." And then something happened. I didn't speak in tongues. I didn't fall out and pass out. But I had come over me a, a joy and a presence that God would be God. And I'm telling you, I went back to that little church, and we begin to win people to Christ, and we begin to grow, and we begin to baptize people. I'm telling you, and begin to have the time of my life because of the anointing of Almighty God. I don't know about you, but I want it tonight. How about you? How about you tonight? I want that anointing. Do you want it?